welcome to the 447th episode of Travel It's Radio. I'm your host, Dan Schlossberg, along with my friend and co-host, Mary Ellen Nugent-Lee, and this is the 11th season of Travel It's Radio, the show that lets you enjoy the pleasures of travel from the comfort of your armchair. Every week at this time, we talk to people representing destinations, hotels, airlines, railroads, car rental companies, and others in the world of travel and hospitality, from authors and bloggers to broadcasters and publicists. If it's got anything to do with travel, it's got everything to do with Travel Itch Radio. And tonight, we're very pleased to present Tina Kumiega, Master Docent for Explore Buffalo. Welcome, Tina, to Travel Itch Radio. Good evening to you, Dan, and to Mary Ellen. And thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to talk about my fantastic city of Buffalo, New York. And I know I got your first name right, and I hope I didn't mangle your last name too much, but you got the idea. Anyway, (laughs) Niagara Falls took (laughs) Buffalo on the map as the honeymoon capital of the world. And when people think of shuffling off to Buffalo, the falls immediately come to mind. But Niagara Falls isn't actually in Buffalo, is it? No, it's not. It's not even in Erie County. It's in the city of Niagara Falls in Niagara County, but it's only 21 miles north of Buffalo. It's a beautiful drive along the Niagara River from Buffalo to Niagara Falls. So you can probably almost hear the roar of the falls in Buffalo, right? (laughs) Sometimes if if you're up in our tallest buildings, you can see the mist from the falls. Because that's stretching oh, nice. way up in the air over the falls. And the falls is um, it's halfway along the Niagara River between Erie, Lake Erie and Lake Ontario. So it, it's halfway between the two. And it um, actually has three bridges over it. People, I don't think, realize that we have three bridges from western New York into Canada. Hmm. So we have a very you know, there close There are many in Pin Alley. Although maybe I should say Tina Pan Alley, that celebrate going <laughs> to Buffalo by train. You and I are both railroad bus, Tina, and Buffalo Central Terminal has a glorious past. Tell us about Buffalo's history as a railroad hub in western New York. There are several different types of railroads that were in and around the Buffalo area. You had, you know, the big systems like the Lehigh and the New York City Railroad. But before that, all the way back in 1883, Buffalo had a belt line. We actually had a commuter railroad that was 15 miles of track that circled the city. And it um, had stopped all the way around and actually helped the development of the neighborhood because people could get from the downtown to the neighborhood and all the way around the city on this belt line, which was a railway system. So that was pretty we should mention Buffalo's light rail system and the overall importance of mass transportation, especially trains to the whole area. Trains have been part of Buffalo's history ever since the, the mid-1800s. First, there was the Erie Canal that took the product that was developed out in the Midwest to the East Coast. The first, the first explorers thought they had this great route. You know, they were just fur traders. And they brought the furs from Wisconsin and the Detroit area and figured they would come down these great lakes and get all the way to the Atlantic Ocean until they ran into Niagara Falls. So Buffalo became the transfer point, first with the Erie Canal, 
And then as the railroad developed, we had rail lines, dozens of them coming right up to the water's edge at Lake Erie, downtown Buffalo, that would now uh, took the place of the Erie Canal. In fact, a rail line ran over the filled-in Erie Canal line that ran along the river here in Buffalo to take the goods from here all the way over to New York City. But like I said, anything that came out of the Midwest, and also at that time, Buffalo had the second largest stockyards in Chicago. So we were moving a lot of meat on hoof and also all the sausage and meat products that the German and Polish immigrants produced here in Buffalo. We're talking with Tina Kumiega, master docent of Explore Buffalo. Now, Tina, it's interesting that Explore Buffalo isn't a municipal operation. It's a nonprofit organization providing tours and other opportunities for residents and guests to explore Buffalo's great architecture, history, and neighborhoods. Could you tell us a little bit what's offered? Wow. Um, I think we only have 30 minutes, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, in less than 10 years that Explore Buffalo has been in existence, we went from offering two tours to offering more than 80 tours. We'll talk about some of them here, but I'd like everyone to go to explorebuffalo.org later and check our complete lineup. When I started with Explore Buffalo back in 2015, like I said, I was the first training class the original group that had started Explore Buffalo, were docents with another organization, but they wanted to concentrate only on tours. So they broke away and started their own not-for-profit. And I helped them with that process, and that's not an easy process. So we went from two tours, which are just downtown city tours, to over 80 tours. We do walking tours, 12 months of the year. We do bicycle tours, which are very interesting, but not 12 months of the year. That's only in the good weather. We do bus tours. We also do kayak tours in the Buffalo River, which, again, is just in the good weather. We will do um, what we call spotlight tours. We'll pick one location, one building, one neighborhood, and spotlight it and do just a specific tour that goes into depth on that area. So we we do lots of different tours, whatever you can think of, from downtown to architecture. We've now branched out into the neighborhoods. Because the small towns around Buffalo have a very interesting history by themselves. Um, Tonawanda and the lock system on the Erie Canal, the Tonawanda Harbor, the town of Clarence, which was a, um, it was a stagecoach stop for stagecoaches coming from the east into Buffalo. You have the towns of Lancaster and Depew, East Aurora, where you had Albert Hubbard and the start of the Prairie Houses and the Roycrofters. So we've got some very interesting neighborhoods outside the city of Buffalo, which we now offer tours in. And these span all seasons, 12 months a year. Which would you say are the most popular? Hmm. Well, I would say the ones that I researched and wrote were the most popular because all our tours (laughs) are researched and written by the docents. We're all volunteers. We don't have anyone that we hire to do the research and writing the scripts. We do it ourselves. We spend a lot of winter hours in the History Museum and in the Buffalo Library Research Center looking up to make sure we have correct information. Some of the most common tours are the favorite tours. Um, 
we have one that does our Allentown district in Buffalo, and it has a lot of mob-related information and a lot of mob-related um, locations from mm-hmm. when there was a big mafia presence in Buffalo back in the 50s and 60s, and that's very interesting. There's like three tours that talk about scandalous Buffalo because people always like to hear a good scandal. Oh, good scandal always good. And <laughs> now you mentioned the kayaking tour. Is it true that you can smell the Cheerios from the General Mills plant when you take that kayak tour down the Buffalo River? Of course you can. Our city smells like Cheerios. Haven't you seen people wearing the T-shirts? You can smell <laughs> the Cheerios from the kayak tours. You can smell them from the expressway as you're going by General Mills. We have walking tours along Canal Side, which is right next to the river. You can smell the Cheerios. We have neighborhood tours in Buffalo's Old First Ward where you can smell the Cheerios. That's where all the uh, workers who worked at the grain mills and the silos would live in the First Ward area. And locals can tell you the difference between Cheerios or one of the other sweeter cereals. Well, Cheerios originally was called Cheerios. And later they shortened it Cheerios. But that has a distinctive smell. But if you're a local, you'll go sniff, 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 and you'll say, oh, now, today they're making Lucky Charms, or they're making Honey Nut Cheerios. <laughs> so we locals can tell which they're making. And also, I want to mention this for anyone who eats any of the General Mills cereal products. Look at the top of your box. There will be two letters and some numbers. If the letters are B-U, they were made in Buffalo. What's on the canal side for land lovers, Gina? Oh, canal side is fantastic. Considering they only started developing canal side in 2010, what they've done in the past 12 years is amazing. Canal side was the foot of Main Street. That's where all the that's where the Erie Canal ended. That was the western terminus. That's where all the canal ships came in, would take the, the supplies off the lake freighters. Canal Side now is nothing but an entertainment venue, and it's 12 months of the year. We have a naval park that has three decommissioned naval ships that you can tour. The SSS, the Sullivan, named after the Sullivan brothers that were all killed in World War II. The SSUSS Little Rock, which is decommissioned. When they commissioned the new Little Rock several years ago, they floated it up alongside. It was a beautiful ceremony. And we also have a submarine, the Crocker, that you can take a tour on. So that's just part of it. We also have a Naval and History Museum. We have restaurants. We have tour boat rides. We have ice skating in the winter, curling, which is a new sport we saw at the Olympics. And in the summertime, you have paddle boats and little motor boats that you can ride on. What they did is they reconstructed the canals, and just they're only two feet deep and full of water, and they use them every month of the year. We have restaurants, we have shops, we have a children's museum, um, a big lawn area where they have festivals on the weekends. I could go on and on. That's the the, uh, Key Bank Center where the Sabres play is right there at Canal Side. It's just a fantastic place. I like to go down there sometimes and just walk along the the flower gardens in the summer because they're just beautiful. Okay, you touched on sports, and Buffalo is a sports town. Hockey, football, lacrosse. Even Major League Baseball last summer when the Blue Jays played at the AAA affiliate stadium after being prevented from playing home games in Toronto 
because of Canadian border restrictions and the pandemic. Do you have any other sports trivia you can share? I don't know if I have any sports trivia. That would be Mike Bellani's area of expertise, and Mary <laughs> Allen knows him too. But I do have some very interesting facts about our our sports here. Yes, there were T-shirts made last summer that said Buffalo Blue Jays, and they sold like hotcakes. But <laughs> I did mention the T-Bank Center, which is along Canal Side. It's where the Buffalo Sabres National Hockey League plays. What's unique about the T-Bank Center, it is it's the only three-rink professional hockey league rink situation in the NHL. We are the only ones that have a, a building that houses three rinks. Of course, it has the big arena where the Sabres play, but it also has two smaller rinks in the same building, and they're used by high schools and colleges and also the Sabres practice there. We've hosted many tournaments for colleges on those rinks. They are absolutely beautiful. We also have the statue to Tim Horton, who is a National Hockey League player, and we also have the statue to the French Connection, which was our three hockey players back in the 70s that helped start the Buffalo Sabres. Oh, yeah. Oh, and I do have a good, a good trivia question. That, you know, if you ever hear it on Jeopardy, you could say, oh, I know the answer to that. The Buffalo Sabres colors are blue and gold. For a short time, they went to this ugly black and red, but the city just revolted, and they went back to their blue and gold. Where did the blue and gold colors come from? Tell us. I'm going to tell you. I had, it, that was my dramatic pause. Okay. <laughs> the, colors, the colors came from polo ponies that belonged to the uh, family that brought the Sabres to Buffalo. And they had a farm mm. out in East Aurora, and they were the Knoxes. And that's the color that their polo ponies wore. And you can tour mm. the Knox farm out in East Aurora and see the barn where the polo ponies were kept. So there's a good trivia question for you. That's very good. I like that. The next question, I'm not going to ask you about winter sports because you just told us about that. So I'm going to move along and say we're talking with Tina Kumiega, Master Docent of Explore Buffalo. Now, Tina, a good sports bar needs three things, beer on tap, a television on the wall, and a menu that offers buffalo wings. What's the backstory on buffalo wings? Well, a true Buffalonium just calls them wings. If you say wings, anybody yes. in Buffalo knows what you're talking about. Okay, so the backstory. Back in 1935, Frank and Teresa Bellissimo from Sicily opened a bar in Buffalo. And they continued to run that for a good 30 years. It was a family business. And then one night in 1964, their son Dominic was out with some friends, and he stopped by and he said, hey, Ma, we're hungry. We just need some finger food, something we can munch on. So mom went back in the kitchen, and she's looking around, what do I have? She had a bunch of chicken wings because she had cut them off the chicken when she had made, either she made chicken cacciatore or she made chicken parm, but she had all these wings left over. So she dropped them in the deep fryer and looked around in the kitchen and said, okay, these kids have been out partying all night long. Just took basically all it is is Frank's hot sauce and butter. The people that add all these extra ingredients, no, 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 those are not wings. She melted the butter, threw the hot sauce in in a bowl, took the fried wings out of the fryer, tossed them in there, put them out for the kids, and that was the beginning of wings. Hmm. Now, aside from buffalo wings, 
Aside from buffalo wings, are there any other regional recipes and restaurants that our listeners should know about in Buffalo? Well, anyone that comes to Buffalo, after they eat their wings, they have to what's called a beef on weck. And weck (laughs) is a Kimmelweck roll that was baked by the German immigrants. And it's basically a nice big hard roll that's topped with caraway seed and big crunchy salt. And in that roll, you will get some very thinly sliced roast beef. Hmm. Most of the bars and restaurants in Buffalo will have this huge round of roast beef that they roast themselves, and they will carve it fresh to put on your sandwich. And all you put on is you dip the bun in a little bit of the au jus, and you put a little bit of horseradish on there. Depending on how well you want to clean out your sinuses depends on how much horseradish you put on it. And that's a <laughs> Buffalo beef on wet. <laughs> We're talking with Tina Kumiega of Explore Buffalo, and you're listening to Travel Itch Radio with Dan Schlossberg and Mary Ellen Nugent Lee. We're on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, and Facebook. Check out the archive show at your convenience. Tina, we must mention one of Buffalo's most iconic buildings and a national historic landmark, the Richardson Olmsted Campus. Today, it's one of the largest historic preservation projects in the country. Please tell us about it. The Richardson Olmsted Campus was designed back in the 1880s, to begin with, by H.H. Richardson. He was a well-known architect. He actually studied at L'École des Beaux-Arts in Paris. And he took the uh, Victorian Romanesque style and put his own spin on it. It's still very Victorian Romanesque in style. But what he did is he added the very top of the towers, he squared them off. So if you ever see a picture of the Olmsted campus, which started out as the Buffalo Psychiatric Center, you'll see those pointed and squared off columns on the top. And it's very, very um, symmetrical in style. You have the central building, and then you have wings on each side. And the way that was originally designed was, for people who had mental illness, but they had a humane way of treating it. The farther away from the center you were, is they said the sicker you were. And as you got better and as you got your facilities and faculties back to you, you got closer to the center. And what I meant by humane um, treatment, the reason they call it the Richardson Olmsted Campus is because Frederick Law Olmsted, who was the famous landscape architect, designed the grounds. And it was, they redone the grounds back to his original drawings. But they also had farms behind it because they felt people getting fresh air and working the land would help them get better. And that was their, their way of treating the mentally ill back then. And it was much more humane than what had been done before that. But it is a um, National Historic Landmark. I'd say about half of it has been restored. Before the pandemic, it was the Hotel Henry, because Richardson's first name was Henry. And it was absolutely gorgeous inside. It had a restaurant called The Hundred Acres, because the, the complex originally in, had 100 acres. That's how much farmland they had. The land to the north of it is now the Buffalo State College campus, but that was all farmland. And it was farm-to-table food that they were serving there in the 100-acre restaurant. We do have a new owner for it. It did go out of business because of the pandemic, and we're hoping that they get it up and running again very soon, the restaurant part of it. As they uh, put more money into it, they'll work out into the wings and redevelop more of it, 
They're also going to have an architectural um, history society located in there. So they've got a lot of plans for that. And um, it's one of our National Historic Landmarks, of which we have several in the Buffalo area. We have the only floating one. Our fireboat, the Cotter, is actually a historic landmark. Mm. Let's hear about your art scene, the Albright Knox Art Gallery, for starters. The Albright Knox Art Gallery is, um, I got a couple neat facts about it. It was opened in 1904. It was supposed to be opened in 1901 for the Pan American Exposition that was held here in Buffalo. Matter of fact, it's on the exposition on the grounds of where the expedition was. It's part of the Olmstead Park complex that we have here in Buffalo. But they couldn't get it done in time. A very famous architect designed it, green and wicked, and it has more columns in it than the U.S. Capitol because it's done in that Greek revival style. It's right now going through a renovation. It's closed down because they're uh, doing a renovation and doing an addition to it. But the Albright Knox started out as the Albright Art Gallery. And then the Knox family, which, of course, brought the Sabres of Buffalo, Seymour Knox II was interested in modern art. And his friend, who was also another very uh, influential person here in Buffalo, Mr. Goodyear, was very interested in modern art. Matter of fact, uh, Conjure Goodyear went to New York City and became the first president of MoMA before he came back to his home in Buffalo. And when he passed away, he gave his entire collection to the Albright Art Gallery, and had his friend's name, Knox, added to it. So that's where they have all the modern art. That's what they're known for is modern art. Hmm. I love the animals, Tina, so I'd love to know what's going on at the Buffalo Zoo. Oh, the Buffalo Zoo is great. You can get on a webcam and watch the babies. We had a baby um, rhinosaur this year. We've had baby lion cubs. But... Some interesting facts about the Buffalo Zoo is it's also part of that Olmstead Park system. When Buffalo was becoming big and it was the eighth largest city in the country, they looked at New York City, which was, you know, the largest in New York. We're now the second largest. They said, well, New York City has a, a central park. We want a central park. And, of course, Olmstead designed Central Park in New York City. So they invited him to come to Buffalo and, you know, all the big wigs and the the people in the know in Buffalo toured him around and said, okay, where are you going to build this park for us? And he looked at him, and you know, I don't know how he said this. This is exactly how he said it, but this is what I think he said. He said, I'm not going to build you a park. And they were flabbergasted. He goes, no, I'm going to build you a parkway system. Buffalo had the first parkway system in the United States. He designed three parks, and he connected them by parkways, which were double-laned streets. Well, down the middle was all grass and trees. So you had the front, which overlooked where the Niagara River comes into Lake Erie, right in the city of Buffalo. sits on a high, um, high uh, rocky ledge area and overlooks. That's the front. That was connected to what was called the Meadow, which was later became Delaware Park. And that was connected to the Parade, which is our new Martin. They renamed it Humboldt Parkway and then Martin Luther King Park. And his point of view was, People need to get fresh air. They need to have some way to relax after work. And people did not have cars, so you couldn't get in your car and drive out to the country. But if he put all these parkways in, you could leave your front door and see grass and trees. Mm -hmm. Also, they were a way of bringing cool air into the city because they funneled the air, the colder and cooler air in the summer, off of Lake Erie up through the city. 
So a little bit about the Olmstead Park as a lead-in to the Buffalo Zoo. Where is the Buffalo Zoo? It's sitting in the middle of Delaware Park. It was started in 1875, and it's the seventh oldest zoological society zoo in the United States. And it all started with the gift of a pair of deer to the city. They didn't have any place to put these deer. Somebody had it living, had them living on their estate. So they fenced in a little area of Delaware Park for these deer to live, and that was the start of the Buffalo Zoo. I think, We're talking um, with Tina Cuniega, Master Docent of Explore Buffalo. Now, Tina, now that the region's COVID percentages are going down, are business meetings and conventions coming back to Buffalo? I sure hope so. So many of our, our big hotels downtown literally closed because of the fact that there was no business. But um, several of them are now reopening, and the convention center is already booking conventions. And, um, you know, with New York State lifting the masks and the other COVID restrictions, I see a great year for Buffalo. I think the tourists who have been just being held back cannot wait to come out and see us again. Oh, that's great. Tell us about the variety of hotel rooms they can find in Buffalo. And if you have any special favorites or any new hotels planned for the immediate future, give us a sneak peek. Well, we have everything from your standard Hamptons and Hiltons all the way down to some beautiful bed and breakfast because we have the old mansions, many of them in our Delaware Avenue district that we saved through preservation efforts. Many of those have become boutique hotels or they become bed and breakfast. Matter of fact, when I go into the city with some friends, if we don't feel like driving home, we try to find a little B&B to stay in for the night in this old historic Italianate mansion, and they're absolutely beautiful. Uh, Airbnbs have become very popular in the Buffalo area, especially on Buffalo's west side, because the houses are being turned over. It's being gentrified in that area, and these houses are being bought, and they're doing beautiful renovations on them. We have hotels that are out in the outskirt areas, all the way down to Ellicottville, which is our ski capital, some beautiful hotels and chalets down there. So if you want to come to Buffalo, anything that you want to stay in, we have hostels for the young people and the college students. So whatever your style of overnight accommodation, we can accommodate it here in Buffalo. Oh, that's great. And getting to Buffalo is easy. Buffalo Niagara International Airport is the busiest in the state outside the New York City metropolitan area. And it's popular with Canadian visitors, too, isn't it? Yes, it is, because we are an international airport, which means that flights will leave here directly and go to Europe and go out of the country. You don't have to make a secondary stop to get to Buffalo. You can fly from Buffalo directly out of the country. And sometimes the flights are easier or less expensive for the Canadians. They, uh, Toronto's less than an hour away, so the people that live in between, sometimes they decide, am I going to go to Toronto or am I going to go to Buffalo to fly internationally now? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's super. We're talking with Tina Kumiega of Explore Buffalo. Tina, how do Travel Itch Radio listeners learn more about Buffalo? ExploreBuffalo.org. There's also another site that's called VisitBuffaloNiagara.com. That's, that's our um our tourist board, and go to either of those websites and learn anything you want about Buffalo. Our special guest tonight has been Tina Comiega, Master Docent for Explore Buffalo. 
thank you for being our guest on Travel Witch Radio. It was my pleasure. Thank you, Dan and Mary Ellen. Well, we enjoyed having you. And listeners, just because baseball is involved in a labor dispute, there's no time like the present to curl up with a good book on the good old days when the only strikes occurred between the white lines. So check out my book, The New Baseball Bible, Notes, Nuggets, Lists, and Legends from a National Pastime, 480 pages for less than a saw buck. It's both a coffee table book and a bathroom book. Read it backwards and still enjoy it. That's The New Baseball Bible with Mike Trout on the cover. Get it tonight on Amazon.com. And that's it for this edition of Travel Witch Radio. Next week, same time, same station, our guest will be Alicia Quinn of the suburb Lehigh Valley in Pennsylvania. Now, this is Dan Schlossberg, along with my beautiful and talented co-host, Mariela Nugent-Lee, saying thank you for your time this time. Until next time, good night and stay safe. <laughs> 